Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 28th of July, 2019. The first thing I have to mention is that uh, I was comparing the income for this time last year and I'm under half of what I was getting last year. And summer is generally pretty bad as it is because folk are maybe off on holiday and, and so on. But that's how bad it is now. I know definitely I get shadow banned as they call it. I've had that for years, long before the term became popular. But it's getting pretty bad now. So for those who want to buy the books and discs, remember you can go into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. These are my official websites listed on the CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website. You'll see all the, the sites I have. These are the official ones. Anything outside of of these if you're buying books and so on, they're not my site. Someone's printing them up or whatever. That's happened before, by the way, <laughs> a few times. So let me know if that ever happens. But yeah, CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website has my official sites listed. And you should always make a list of them in case anything happens to com site. Because things are changing rapidly now with the, with the, the social training of uh, the populace through electronic means and all kinds of media. That's on the go. It's not a conspiracy. They admit it. That's just the way it is. We're all getting trained into the next part of the system. So you can help me take along, hopefully, or else I won't be here much longer at all by getting the um, getting some cash to me. And remember, you can use PayPal and you can use personal checks to order or for to donate. You can send cash, or you can send an international postal money order from outside of Canada, or a, a postal order from inside Canada. Um, but international postal order, you have, to, you have to stress that, from outside Canada. And they're cheaper than most uh, means of uh, sending sending money. And I'll get it to you. And you can find the address and everything at cuttingthroughmatrix.com, as I say. Because things are getting pretty pretty bad now. And that's, that's months in a, that's a few months in a row, and it's plummeting. Lots of weird things are happening, we all know that. But you're in a system, we're all in a system, globally in a system, where this was planned before you even heard of the internet. Uh, it was definitely planned that, that a new system would come in. I was reading through a book from the Club of Rome from the 1990s, and they were going into how they would to train the public to to uh, and change cultures and so on, so we'd all get along in the big mix as we we get pushed towards more and more integration in a globalistic society. But they they mentioned how they tra- they train us and with new moralities and so on, so as we'd all get along. And you're going through it now. And uh, as I say, you can go way back to Bertrand Russell and many others, even before some of his books. In fact talking about the training of, of the general populace and how it would be done. Well, we're going through it, and we, we know, for instance, that, uh, of course, the, the Chinese have a, a social credit score where they, they, it's so, so amazing. If people really think that everything we have in the West is ours, that we, we, it's all ours. You know, you've you got your face, but you this, that, and the other. But you don't realize that many of these organizations are fronts, I think, is... The same thing is that this coming out even about Epstein. He's definitely a front man for a much bigger operation. And there's a lot of panic going on right now with intelligence agencies because there's so much, obviously, blackmailable information on so many people coming out of all of this that 
deals that get made are left, right, and center, very quietly, of course, because there's just too many important, as they call important people, involved in all of this. So that's the system we're living in right now. And you find the same thing with our training through Internet and all kinds of electronic connections that we're using and techniques we're using with the instruments we're given, the nomadic devices, as I like to call it, to train us all into a new system. And it does work awfully well. Let's be honest with you. They have awfully good behaviorists and scientists working with them, with all these companies, uh, to do just that. And of course there, there are government agencies involved in all of it too, because this, this agenda we're living through is not a conspiracy. It's published, for goodness sake. It's published by those who are in, in the doing of it all, because the public really don't care so much now. They really don't. And Aldous Huxley was awfully right when he said uh, that the people would be trained, in a sense, and led and guided and prompted to love their servitude. If you give children access to the candy store and say, help yourself, they're going to do it, aren't they? Well, in this system, for, for knowing all the different drives and instincts that people have, you're given a free rein to, to a good extent to do what you want with sexual impulses and so on, and to an extent, as I say. And people go at it. Nothing comes out of it generally, but uh, that's, that's been permitted now. Awfully interesting to see it's all done. And I was going through again the old documentation from Julian Huxley and Aldous Huxley, the two brothers who actually were d- descended from a whole family that, that, that were interbred, in fact, down through a few hundred years, uh, even with the Darwins to an extent too. That's just the way it is. The, 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 the selective breeding has been awfully important. This, this actually preferred selective breeding and eugenics has been really a, a big thing uh, from Britain, for instance. I'm sure it was done in many other countries too in, the, say, the early 1800s, maybe even late 1700s onwards. But we have records of it in Britain, at least, that are published in extent, to an extent. And we know that Charles Darwin's family were intermarried for two or three generations with the Wedgwood family. So that's all they bred into was the same families as two families for for a while. And out of, I mean, even today, you had the Tony Wedgwood Ben that was in Parliament for his whole life too. I think one of his daughters is in there now too in Britain. So, and they were titled people. They had titles, which they don't like to talk about, but they do have titles and of nobility, even though they're on the left wing side of things, which is quite amazing in a sense. But eugenics and the selective breeding for the right qualities, it was nothing new. It was highly talked about, even in some of the so-called occultic societies, very prominent in fact. You'll find that, the so-called secrecy there too and uh, the, the prompting of their higher members and so on, these societies, as they're going up through their degrees, they also get a little training in, in what, what, what makes us different from them, you know, them, those people down there. And they would go into, you're more intelligent, or you come from a better family. They had no problems talking about this in the upper crusts in the European nations. And Britain was a, a, really a champion for that. Folk don't know much about 
Because the, all they know about Britain is the last well, hundred odd years, really, most people. And they think of prior to that is with the BBC um, movies or, document, or, or, or TV dramas with coaches and wealthy people. And, and they don't show you much of the utter incredible poverty of the masses of the people. They don't know either that in reality that Abraham Lincoln talked about the difference in the U.S. working class compared to the mob, they called them in Britain. That's what the elite called them all, the, the mob or the masses. He said that. He actually used the term too because he, he, he understood and he, he knew Karl Marx, at least they corresponded. And he said, we don't have that same kind of proletariat, he called it. In America, it says we have a different type of worker with more rights and all the rest of it. Whereas in Britain, they lived in an awful state, really, of poverty, uh, crammed into to, to buildings, especially in the industrial era, earning not enough to even to really keep themselves alive. Death rate was phenomenal. But they don't know. In fact, there's so much the folk don't know these days. They used to know, and they used to get taught it. And in my the last 20 years, I'd say, I've seen such incredible changes happen in uh, as, as this new order came through, the new world order, as Bush, President Bush called it, and his father did too. I think 10 years apart, they both gave the same a similar speech on a new world order coming into view and all that kind of stuff. And they made a new system, a global order, a new system. And you're seeing uh, the gradual disintegration of borders, naturally. So someone's obviously in the know. Uh, those who control what's called the far left are all in the know. Uh, it's just the rest of the public don't understand it because they don't hear laws getting passed to, or, to even, or declarations that probably have no borders now f- from those who are supposedly in power. They don't hear it. But obviously plans are made and, and uh, they're put into operation. And we live through it. Our whole lives are living through changes uh, that are not willy-nilly. Uh, they're planned changes. And again, it's not conspiracy theory when you can get their books now. <laughs> it's awfully good to get their books from those who help plan a lot of what's now uh, the past or recent past. But getting back to the U.S., the U.S. really was the dynamic hub for a different type of society at least in a hopeful way. That was the hope of America to, to the, most of the people, as opposed to the countries they left behind them in Europe. We also seem to think that in the past, say in the, in the 19th century, uh, they didn't have sciences, like, like studying, the studying of populations and people and our workforces. And of course they did. You can go back into Roman times and they kept records on on types of labor and what was detrimental to the profit margin if if, uh, they would cause slaves to possibly not put their backs into it, so to speak, whatever it was, uh, and ways to overcome things like that. Well, the same thing happened eventually in the U.S. And Lincoln also was aware of it, too. I'm sure he, uh, he, who knows, we, we we don't know much about the guy, really, except the romanticized stuff, really. Most stuff about people who are put up to be heroes are, is added much later by subsequent authors. But we do know that in his time, and even before he got in, uh, that there were British um, managers or owners of big factories. 
because they, they dealt with uh, the cotton and so on coming in. And they had uh, the factories for weaving the cotton. That was one of the biggest things that Britain had for a while was, was cotton and the wool industries too, of course. But uh, the manufacture of clothing and, and, and cloth. So they wanted to, to get cheaper. Like everything, it's always the same. Today we, we get the cheapest things made or the things made cheaply in China. We don't do, actually, but the, those who run the countries do. And your politicians all help to send them off to China by paying their way. Actually, that was all part of the trade agreements, for those who don't know, but it's another story. And I've seen it all, as I've talked about over well, over 20 years now, to the people, and lived through it. But the, the big owners and the merchants too, and in, in, in Britain, at that time, in Lincoln's day, uh, came over, and they 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 had they told it to the Northerners as well, and they had plans, big businesses. You understand that combinations of business have always overridden any government policies down through time, with the big money and big producers and owners generally decide what's going to happen with the future of any nation. And they can pull stuff out immediately out of a nation or even dump cheap cotton from other countries, say, on the likes of Britain, which they did eventually. And it caused so much riots, riots they sent the dragoons, uh, the actual dragoon guards, I think it was, and set them on the public in parts of England. So chaos can happen so, so easily by those who earn power and who want even more profit. It's a greed factor in humanity. And that's always been a big, big problem in society. This is, when is enough enough, you see? And then you, you get into the opposite side of all, well, they bring communism and you'll all have shares of equality. Utter nonsense. There was no such thing as equality in a communist system because the greed factor still in humanity it still exists. And those at the top have everything. And again, those at the bottom have pretty well nothing. That's the nature, of, unfortunately, of humanity. So anyway, uh, in the 1800s, the uh, the ones in Britain, London, that's where generally always, they always uh, hung around. It was, it was London that was always a hub, a big hub of of international shipping and taxation and finance and so on. They sent delegations over to to America, where the the, the people who owned uh, the, the cotton pickers and so on, they tried to convince them because slavery was starting to die out everywhere, and many countries had already banned it pretty well. The real reason, it wasn't humanitarian. It wasn't humanitarian feelings for others that really fought it all. I'm sure that existed outside of the, of the, of the big moneyed classes, of course. But the moneyed classes really wanted more profits. And they, they, they said, you know, you, if you have slavery, uh, then you've got to take care of the slaves, even when, when they're beyond working for you. Otherwise, it'd be, it'd be a, such a horror show, you get more slaves running away, and again, they put less and less work into what they were doing. So it, it took part of their financing to take care of slaves too, as they got older, for instance. If you free them, then they have to take care of themselves if you give them a wage, a small wage. That was really a big, big part of it for those who don't know. And that's why Britain was so involved in um, really stirring up 
animosity, you might say, between the, the North and the South. And the, the North, of course, was a financing system, and it was a commercial system, whereas the South was mainly agricultural, pretty well. But yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't to, to help people. Unfortunately, I don't know it's unfortunate, see, we're human. And if you feel things, actually feel things as a human being, you, you can be blindsided by the intent of psychopathic types who are way ahead of you. The educated type of psychopath who is a, with a good mind, a good IQ, say, and they can run rings around you. So easily it happens all through society. And it's not my opinion, look at all the studies I've done over the last oh, 20 years, especially on CEOs of corporations and how they fit the bill for being good psychopaths, you see. So really, we, we do have problems as societies, and we do have those who, I mean, look what you get for even on TV shows. I don't have TV. I haven't seen TV for about 30 years, I think. And, but I still get stuff sent to me on the internet, and an article sent to me about shows. And I put winning the lotto, you see, in the same category of, say, uh, an American Idol stuff and everything else to give you. All these long, long shots of getting what, not getting my living, but getting rich. That's the whole point, getting rich, you see. And it's so ridiculous now, it makes a mockery of everybody who's really working and scraping by, doesn't it? When the media keeps putting out articles and shows on someone who's got a hit song without telling you, there's a whole, they probably didn't write it, and there's a whole machinery behind them promoting it all and, and giving you fake backgrounds and stories on the, on the person who's now the new idol or whatever. That's how it's, that's show business. It's a business. And it's a show, you see. You can't believe what the show is. But it makes a mockery of the folk who are really, really struggling to get by. Or are people winning incredible amounts of money today? Uh, they, they just put you in shock when you see it. And, and again, and it's a wonderful thing, as we're all scraping to get by. That's how ridiculous it is. Again, most of the news you get now is about the so-called stars, what they call stars now. And now they call them celebrities. So we're supposed to be happy that they're so incredibly rich, etc., uh, etc. Et I mean, this is not news. This is not news. That's not news at all. Have you noticed how we've been weaned off very carefully and easily from being told what governments are signing or about to sign uh, and even what laws are coming up or not coming up, we're, we're, we don't get told anything because they don't want you to participate in what's called democracy. Because you might object to what they're planning here or there or somewhere else or whatever it happens to be. But you're supposed to have the right to participate and maybe sign petitions or object to it, you see. You don't even know anymore. Except for the publicized ones, which are to do with the agenda, which is again, uh, the, or the climate change. And we all have to start, stop breeding, for goodness sake, to bring down the population to save the planet, or we are all going to die again. We're always, we're always all going to die. That's how it's done, you see. But, but those ones are authorized. 
and as they try to get you to get off of meat, for instance, energy, which is energy. Remember, all forms of energy to be cut back. Well, meat's a primary one, too, for a lot of people. Don't forget that, that, that Gandhi had to eat meat to an extent because at one point he was ill. And he accepted, decided to, he asked for it. He actually asked for it to be put in his diet. So come on here. But they're training armies of almost fanatics who seem to know they get, that they'll get away with an awful lot, which they shouldn't. In England, they're, they're bringing sometimes the cities to standstills. And they want to block trains from getting in and out. They want to block everything and do crazy things because they, they, and again, they're doing all the right things that they've been trained to do growing up through school and what's good and what's bad and all the new values given to them and they feel that they have the moral high ground. Well, that's a dangerous thing to have in a society when big agendas are at work in so-called democracies, remember, where other sides of things can't get a word in to complain or even put their point of view in at all. This is dangerous time. And it's meant to be because you're getting weaned out of what's called democracy. It's, it's even the Club of Rome, for, and every publication, I think, keeps reiterating that. They can't get things done with democracy. So let the right people manage the world and manage our lives and manage us from birth to death, which is the old eugenics agenda. Going way back before anybody even thought of climate change, literally where they just wanted you to, to, to get sterilized. I really mean that. I really, really mean that. We're, we're, we're run by people who are very clever, the ones who are selected, that is, to, to work out these agendas, to manage us all from birth to death, as I say. Uh, they're given big, big salaries and selected very quickly by teams of people from college even. They know who's going to pick and who select and train to be future leaders or even the ones behind the scenes who work with the behavioral teams that manage us all that you don't even know are, are managing you. <laughs> and I've done some talks now before. But anyway, let's, let's go back a bit here too. Julian Huxley was quite the character because he was unstable himself. That is understood. Well, he had problems, mental problems. But he was a, a runner uh, to, to promote, uh, again, sustainability in his day, from 1920s on. Uh, and they, they knew at the time there would be too many of you. And the British system, getting back to Lincoln and all what you talked about soon, blah, blah, and the difference with the proletariat compared to the British worker, the British system never had a problem talk, uh, uh, talking about them and us, you say. The elite would always look at the masses. That's them. That's them down there. There was never a. There was never a question like, "What do you mean by?" They all understood who the them were, <laughs> and then there was the us. You see, who had better marriages and blue blood, and and they selected their mates well from good families, who who prospered, who were in the right crowds, right circles. That's never gone away. It can be a bit more carefully hidden, but it's always been there. Because the people who rule you truly believe in it, truly do. And it might shock you if you ever ever hear them talking and, and, and they forget you're, you're standing there. Because that's how they really are. That's how they talk about you. 
And if, if you read enough media or news, say, but, but it was given to you, all you got is violence and violence and violence all over the place. If you read some newspapers. And on the other hand, you've got these folk who are just winning millions and millions of dollars or winning song, song contests, getting made for life and things like that. It's a bizarre schizophrenic world we're looking at, really, isn't it? That's the impression you're given. It's going to get a lot worse. But I'll put a couple of links up. One, one is from about Aldous Huxley, and one is from his brother, of course, who set up UNESCO for United Nations. Who specified, too, that the, the, the problems it would have with UNESCO, creating a world system uh, and a, a uniform world educational system, not just for children, but for the whole society. And, and they would train you and train you to, to accept the new moralities and new acceptances of lowering your populations yourselves and accepting it, too. And the difficulty of, of if we help them with health, etc., to live longer and to be healthier, then there's a downside, and the downside is they might breed more, you see. H.G. Wells was more open about it. He actually said that. He says we, we, we give them food to the starving people. We, we give them food. We, we, we give them vaccinations to fend off diseases, he says etc., and, and we give them some medical care. And what do they do? He says, they breed. That's how he said it. They breed. They, they again, it's they, them. <laughs> they breed, you know. Nothing has changed. It's, they've, they've trained their targets not to think about it or, or to believe. Well, they say that, but they don't really mean it. Isn't you often, how often have you heard that? Oh, they, they don't really mean that. And you say, well, why don't they mean Well, somebody would, would do something. Well, who would do something? <laughs> it certainly won't be most people uh, because that's how they're lumped together. And this, this is about that too. Aldous Huxley, right? The Brave New World Huxley, the brother of, of Julian. Uh, as he got older, he camouflaged an extent. And both brothers kind of ducked, ducked out of sight. Not out of sight, really. They toned it down and changed it a little bit because they were eugenicists, remember, and they wanted population reduction. And because because Adolf Hitler had the same policy uh, when, he, when they brought the Nazi party in, and because they copied the eugenics from America and Britain, they actually copied it because they're already doing it in Britain, eugenics is, and, and they actually were sterilizing. <laughs> That's what they called the unfit. And they got a lot from that too. But here is Aldous Huxley, 1932, right? And he, he got Brave New World out then. He despaired, it says here, about the real world significance of one of his novel's principal themes. And it says about 99.5% of the entire population of the planet are as stupid and philistine as the great masses of the English. He's talking about, he's, he's, he's talking about the whole planet, right? So 99.5% of the entire population of the planet are as stupid and philistine as the great masses of the English. The important thing, it seems to me, is not to attack the 99.5% but to try to see that the 0.5% survives, keeps the quality up 
to the highest possible level and, if possible, dominate the rest. For the heart of thinking, I'll say that last bit again. The important thing, it seems to me, is not to attack the 99.5%, but to try to see that the 0.5% survives. It's not with the elite minority, you see. And it keeps his quality up to the highest possible level and, if possible, dominates the rest. The imbecility of the 99.5% is appalling. But after all, what else can you expect? Don't forget, he came from that, he came from that class, you see, that talked this way quite openly amongst themselves. And they had no, absolutely no hesitation in saying that you couldn't help those down below because they were too, they, they truly believed completely you were born that way because you were just, you were bad genes. Uh, don't forget that they, they said that um, poverty at that time, poverty was labeled as a mental illness, basically. Poverty was a genetic problem. You inherited it, you see, that's what they thought. So there you go. These are the heroes who did work with all the big organizations that led through United Nations to UNESCO and other organizations in the Department of Population. It used to be called Population Control that the Rockefellers actually paid for to get set up in the UN, but they dropped the, the control part at the end. But it's still the Population Control Department. So they all work together for the same agenda. And when you go into their, 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 how much each human being will cost in their lifetime to the planet, this, this is how they work it out. Uh, it, it's interesting to see your government part of them taking all your data, uh, who your parents were, uh, and, and how much they might get out of you in taxes in your entire lifetime. And the government also has the data, and they're paying for all these studies, to see who might get sick halfway through their working life. And they're testing your DNA and so on. You have no idea. We're just livestock, folks. Livestock. Getting back to the clever psychopaths who decided in the 1800s to try to convince them to give up slavery. Not because they romanticized the people and loved them. But because they get a better profit, save them money, looking after the aging population of slaves and the sick populations, and let them pay for it themselves. You know, for everything that happens in society, there's always another side of things. And because we're decent people, we have a hard time figuring it out until it often happens to you. To you personally, that is. And that's why we're manipulated so easily. That's how your behavioral teams prompt you and nudge you into what you're supposed to think, what you're supposed to say, what you're supposed to, what your opinions are supposed to be. And when they change uh, the, the normals of, of anything, you better adjust immediately to the new normals, new opinions. That's literally what we're going through now, folks. And that's part of getting back to the Chinese credit system, social score. It's here. They gave people the face, and people took to Facebook like, like ducks to water, without a thought. Without a thought. And they gave you years of it before they, they let you know what was going on. And that's only one. Or, I'm, I'm sure all the rest of them pretty well are much the same, all the all, alternatives, really. But again, what I'm pointing out here 
And by the way, I occasionally get people who are the happy types, you know, that they've been trained in the, in the happy, happy new age, which was given to you by those who control you, if you haven't figured it out. The happy, happy type, you know. Don't look at the negative. Look at the positive. Be happy. You see? They had books out on this, and they could train the public like this. The public, no matter what happened, they were, oh, well, you know, oh, well. They wouldn't blame it. They would just go and try and get along and, and be happy, you know. It's beautiful, isn't it? For those who are in control. Until you have people now, I don't want to hear that. Oh, I don't want to, tell me something that's happy. Well, turn on your favorite TV show or whatever. Or I don't know what makes you happy. But you don't understand if it wasn't for the folks who could see things and know things and come out with, with that, what was happening. You'd have been run over by the system. The whole, a lot of us would have been run, completely run over by the system long ago. It's only by those who know and who watch and say something and can explain it that, that makes them have to, they really grit their teeth and have to slow it down a bit here and there or adjust it here to get around you because uh, it's been pointed out what they're up to. There's nothing that they hate more than having the truth pointed. Now, the ones at the top give a lot of fake things to follow because it's an intelligence system, like counterintelligence and intelligence. If you come out, like I did years ago, giving you the facts, they'll give you other ones that'll come out who'll grab those same facts. They're heavily financed. They can churn out the books because they're not writing them themselves. They're ghostwritten. And, 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 but they'll spin it off into, into aliens or something. That's how, that's called counterintelligence. So the, the, the people who brought out the facts in the first place are now lumped in with the people who, whose names are so well known. Well, you're, you're one of those who believe that. Okay. That's how it's done, folks. But whether you believe in aliens or not, I'll tell you one thing. No one's going to help you down here except yourself. Which makes the whole point of do you believe like kind of religion and aliens or not completely moot. You see? But yeah, Brave New World and um, Aldous Huxley, the great Aldous Huxley, who before World War II, as I say, that's what he was saying quite openly, and 99.5% of the entire population of the planet are as stupid and philistine as the great masses of the English. The important thing, it seems to me, is not to attack the 99.5%. Because a lot of them are talking about openly culling off a lot of the people, still are in some places. It says, but to try to see that the 0.5%, the elite classes himself included, survives and keeps the quality up to the highest possible level, and if possible, dominate the rest. The imbecility of the 99.5% is appalling, but after all, what else can you expect? There you go. There you go. And I guess in later years, too, that the guy came out. Uh, it's hard to figure out if he was having second thoughts about it or not. He did say, he did say that the sciences were out there. And, and he said that you could be persuaded into doing things that you, anything at all by professionals, you see, without things that weren't even good for you. And that's where we are today. We're being guided by what they call professionals. And it's like an invisible group running you because now it's everything is electronic.
so you don't have to have, have a confrontation with them or an argument or saying, hey, get out of my life. You don't even know they're there, most of them. People forget. People forget. They forget their phone calls. Out of all the incredible documentation that was spewed out after 9-11 on all, all transactions, all electronic uh, uh, communication, all, included phones too, could be kept forever. Everything you ever said or joked about, kept for, uh, forever. And yet people, once are on the phone, all, the, all they think about is the person they're talking to. They don't realize there's another ear on there, electronic one, but it's recording everything, and it can be pulled up at any time at all. And it's all analyzed as you're talking, all of it. Is analyzed as you're talking by algorithms and so on. And, and before you finish, a little talk about groceries, uh, it's been categorized in all kinds of areas <laughs> and so on. Eh? You don't even think that's going on, it doesn't even occur to you it's going on, but it is going on, yeah. But again, the happy, happy people live in faith. They've been taught that there's a kind of a world spirit taking care of it all. And so the nasty people won't be able to do anything to you as they're doing it, you see? Because the big world spirit thing that you're all part of won't allow it to happen. Well, guess what? I guess the world spirit has gone to sleep for a while, eh? But that's complete denial. A lot of folk really can't handle what's happening. A lot of folk actually will, will, will think it's fantastic. Because a long time ago, others said the same thing, myself included, a lot of folk will come to love, they already love this thing called socialism. It's a scientific socialism. And it's not the old socialism that you thought about too. And it was Stalin who said that communism was socialism in a hurry. That was the difference with it. Where they owned all the means of production, the state technically owned it. But what you have today is the same socialistic policies. Because all fascism, socialism, it's all the same when you have the rich... And that's what you always end up getting, no matter what their name, the name of it is, the wealthy industrials and rich owning it all at the top, running it all at the top. They can have any proxy below them, managing all for them under any guise or name they want. And they have all the experts running everything else in your life. You have no say in the matter. And therefore today you have the specialists, as they call themselves, the experts running your lives in a thousand different ways every day, quietly, and because it's not intrusive or you don't really see it happening, you ignore it, you're oblivious to it. But you have a form of socialism, of control from birth to death, that's what it's about, right? Coupled with eugenics. And it's all run by those at the very top, the dominant minority that, that Huxley talked about too. Who own everything and run everything and run the financial systems and so on. A massive superstructure built above us all, really. Look at all the kinds of financing there is today with hedge funds and things you can't even get your heads around, most folk, you know. All the different ways to make more and more and more off of more and more, right down to, to, to using debt, all the debt that's out there, because all money is printed is just based on debt. Even using that, the debt itself, as though it was real, and putting that down in the books as collateral. Actually, what's owed to you is really collateral, and, and, account, and putting the books as collateral. It's astonishing, really, this debt system. 
different topic again, but the fact is what I'm saying to you. Huxley talked about a dominant minority. And he said on the Wallace Show and other ones too, he says, which has always existed and I suppose will always exist, he said. And because in his day he was part of the, the scientific elite managers, the manager class of scientists, you see, who manages all. That's what he said about himself too. So did his brother say the same thing. And so they manage us all in different ways. There's all kinds who manage your mind. You've got all kinds of scientists that manage your behavior today. You have the teaching class who make sure you're programmed properly and early age, like Jack Salon said. You've got to have that indoctrination. So that you don't question things, you just obey, obey, and, you, and have all these techniques of peer pressure in the school, so you'll all conform to the same opinions, and you'll be good. And by using that technique, they can make children believe anything, and that's what they are doing. And children want to be liked, not just by each other, they want to be liked by the teachers. They're people pleasers at that age. So well understood. Again, different topic again. So anyway, I'm just mentioning, way off, again, it, time flies, isn't it? It really flies. It's interesting, Aldous Huxley, at least back then, they could still be open enough on what they thought of people. Today is more camouflaged. Royalty. All the royal departments for, for, for the Queen and Prince Philip, they have their own PR department. The ones for the rest of the offspring, they have their own departments too, of Probably relations, the experts, full-time employees. They have documentaries their own staff put out about themselves for, for, for public relations and so on. You see? And that's what we get. Uh, even the stories of, of they're falling out here, they're falling out there, or they get back to get... Just like the stars, same thing. There's a, a character came out recently who is part of the public relations for the stars and for making movies, saying what I've said for years that all this stuff about gossip with the stars falling out and so on, it's all made up nonsense. And his job was to make it up for them, to get them publicity, to get you all believing this rubbish and, and being interested in, oh, we'll get back together and be, because we want to see happy families, don't we? We really do, even if they're not a family in the first place. Same with the, the, the old music bands were the same. Often people would phone up and say, can we get an interview? And if they were too busy, uh, they would just say, no, I'll just make it. And they would, they'd make it up. And they said, you might if we say this? now, on you go, you know. Because any news is good news. It's all publicity, you see. If you're bad boys, bad boys, the old rock and roll stuff, then uh, that was all the better. The, the badder, the better. It didn't matter, you see. All fiction. Big machinery to make the stars, you see. Now, I want to just give a few things up here, too, before the time's up, actually. I put uh, Julian Huxley, a good, a good article I put up before from the National Library of Medicine, and it's about Julian Huxley and the continuity of eugenics in 20th century Britain. He was very clever how they did it and how he managed to keep it going. He was, he was a member to the Darwinian Society and the Eugenics Society, but they managed to keep it going by changing the terminology after World War II and Adolf Hitler, you see. But still, just as adamant as ever. And a lot of what's happening today in eugenics all came, still gone from the organizations that were fun, uh, founded way back then. I'll put that one up. Also, there's one about addressing climate change and how it's even linked again to UNESCO and the Club of Rome, of course, naturally. And then you have this one here on uh, UNESCO, its purpose and its philosophy by Julian Huxley, where he talks about the need 
to basically train people. And there, there was a big dilemma. Should we treat them and make them really healthy? And if they're healthy, they might breed more and blah, blah, blah. And so you had to get a balance between what you'd give them, which means, really, of course, and it, we've always known this, you get a completely higher level of, of standards of medication and, 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 and uh, medicine for those way above the general population. There's no doubt about it. No doubt at all. A lot of the stuff even to do with gene therapy now and stem cell therapy uh, for curing cancer. This is old, old stuff that the elite have been having have the last 50 years or maybe more. And they still don't want to dish out to everybody here, you see. Also, here's an article here on technology review. And the thing about eugenics and how everything's presented as a wonderful thing for you. Think back to what Huxley said about you. The long-anticipated release of genetic and health data on 500,000 British people last summer by public consortium in the UK is generating a shockwave of genetic discoveries that could speed the development of new drugs and tests, scientists. So it's, it's always this vague thing. They don't give you names of people so much now. Could you just scientists or experts say, and that's all. They've trained you already to accept that. It says the data from the UK Biobank, right? Biobank hit in July or in July after scientists in charge of the four and six different projects had the chance to download several terabytes of data, including DNA data and information on everything from who has diabetes to whether people like coffee or tea. So they, they always give these, these little innocent, oh, just caught, they, they can tell if you like coffee or tea by your DNA and all the rest of it. And, yeah. Was bio bank information. Remember last year, the year before, it was in the papers that Google in England had set up a, a, an agreement with National Health Service to collect all the data on all the, all the patients for millions of millions of patients, and they wouldn't tell you what they were doing with it. When they're doing this kind of stuff, think eugenics, folks. Think family planning of now and the future, because now they've got your DNA, they know what you, they might, you might be prone to, huh? and where it's supposed to go. Remember, remember the racial hygiene thing of World War II? Hmm? Get rid of the, the people who might be a burden, and there's, there's your Huxley talking about the same thing for Britain. Huh? So anyway, but it's wonderful. It's, it's all to help you. So what's the difference between genes and diet or between DNA and schizophrenia? See, they're collecting all the data with mental illnesses, all these things, tick, 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 tick. There's alarms going off. With 2,500 different phenotypes or traits measured in the British uh, volunteers, it says, or the basis of weigh-in surveys in national hospital records, this data uh, dump... It's the largest of its kind and the best chance yet to figure it out. Now, you, you think the folk have volunteered for this? They don't even know what's happening. So then they tell you, a few years ago, a gene, um, linking a gene to a human disease would have made a whole career. See, now they're talking about gene-specific treatments. Now, that, that's gone way back. As I say, they've had that for years and years and years. You ever wonder why a lot of them never get arthritis or old age diseases and things like that? Ever wondered about these things? It, it don't go into, oh, it's good breeding. <laughs> to forget that one, folks. Other, I want to, new National Health Service Mental Health Data Hub. Oh, it's no digger. Babylon Health Check and more UK digital health news briefs, it says. 
So the, the National Service Digital introduces new mental health data hub called Babylon, right? Creates a, a new health check feature and an institute lectures. Uh, is, uh, it launches a three million pound against competition, preparing the way for UK-wide infrastructure for health data research. So it says it's to give healthcare workers and patients. So it's supposed to give really uh, information here on your mental health and your and probably your history and your family history. You see, to healthcare workers, patients, charities, and other easier access to national mental health statistics. With its launch coinciding with World Mental Health Day, the new online tool provides links to additional sources of mental health data from other organizations, building a National Health Service Digital's GP Data Hub initiative developed last year. It says, we hope that the hub will assist in our efforts to improve data quality by enabling organizations to see how they compare in terms of data submissions. Everybody who's a specialist, they're all living off us now, aren't they? That's where the money is, living off of the general population. So they can manage us. But this is incredible data about, you understand where this is all going. Hmm? Nothing's kept safe these days, too. You know that. Every country busts in every other other country's data banks for everything. They keep it quiet. Often they're in and out. You might suspect they've been in, but uh, no one says anything because they don't. It's different from they're not taking money. They're they're taking data. Understand? And then that's important stuff to other people, insurance companies too. Hmm? All this stuff will be used eventually to see who can breed and who will not breed. This is all what it's all for as well, folks. It'll take a while. It might take another 20, 30 years before that, that happens, but it might be a lot sooner. It depends. We're going fast now and by our training. It's awfully fast. And, and the coordinated worldwide indoctrination from the same sources of, of uh, what's called news uh, they can, and, and entertainment by the incredible entertainment propaganda. It's in, the stuff is embedded in so much of your fictional works to train you. It's just astonishing. And now uh, it's interesting, they're admitting it in Star Trek, uh, how they helped to, to, to change our opinions and our views and things too over many years. I knew that years and years and years ago, and other folk did too. But now it's they actually admit it now. Your entertainment, honestly, uh, is how really uh, most of your opinions are, are changed. Slickly, too, by using emotions as opposed to just fact, real facts, you see. Another one, too, is uh, 23andMe competitor Veritas Genetics slashes a price of whole genome sequences, sequencing 40% to 600 and they say eventually, very shortly, they'll probably break it down to about $100 or so, maybe $200 or to $100. And they can, they can really do your genetic, break it down very quickly. And that will be, uh, be used in mating. I think it already is in some countries already uh, where they don't have all the rules on it. And they can go there and say, if, if we meet up, we, we too, and have genetic testing of, of both of you, they can tell you, what again is is so iffy as well, because these arguments are old arguments too, as to what you might come down in the future with, or you might get an allergy to this. Well, is that reason 
to, to, to have your tubes tied or a mandate of a vasectomy because you might get an allergy or have you sterilized altogether or put down as a, a risk and you won't get a mate. You better think about these things. An origins of depression brought into focus in large-scale genetic study. Mental illness, you see. Hmm. It's to help you, though. So hundreds of genes have been newly linked to depression. See, so linking your genes to it. Mm-hmm. Shedding light on the origins of the condition and highlighting personality types that could be at risk. The international study involving more than 2 million people is the largest of its kind. There you go. It could inform treatments for the condition, which affect one in five people in the UK, and is the leading cause of disability worldwide. Actually, honestly, I used to, I, I couldn't watch, the BBC was so bad. It was bad enough when you were going through a, a, a financial depression in the UK for years and years and years. Really bad, you know. In the 70s, Britain got the highest rate of suicides in Europe. It used to be Sweden, and then Britain hit, hit it, it took over because every day on the news, all you heard was your factories closing down and big corporations closing down and moving offshore. And that didn't tell the public it was all planned that way with government and different free trade. It came later to, to the US and Canada, but it was all planned that way. To take to deindustrialize, the people had no say in it at all, and suicide was just rampant because there was nothing there to fill the void, nothing at all. I remember the next door neighbour of mine, the, the the son who was a much older, you know, got laid off and he hung himself. That was quite common back then. It was just terrible, terrible. And the BBC, I've, I've said it before, if you want depression, watch the BBC's dramas. That the, those things would. <gasps> Drive you to the wall, literally. Oh. But uh, here they are, as I say, looking at your, your genetic information. Eh? And scientists led by the University of Edinburgh studied information pooled from three large data sets of anonymized, it says, health and DNA records and pinpointed 269 genes that were linked to depression. Do you realize how many studies they do? And and it could be and they'll declare amazing things and set treatments or or more more data collection on individuals in motion for years, and then fifteen years later they can they can reverse their findings. I mean, you can do an awful lot of oops in between that, can't you? And treatments, but there you go. Here you go. They want to show they can eventually predict anything. This is what it's all about: predicting. And then they'll label you. It's like getting branded without the brand on you. You get stuck in a data bank. Oh, so-and-so's got this, you know. Or they might have this down the road. Hmm. But they might not. Anyway, it says, the findings suggest that depression could be a, a driving factor leading some people to smoke. <laughs> to smoke. It's all they do is, sure, it is sure. But more research is needed to explain why the team says. Well, maybe it's because they're encouraging you to, to smoke weed now. <laughs> maybe that's the reason, eh? Like they don't know. But this isn't to do with smoking. also shows that neuroticism, see here's the real thing to see, you know, neurotic tendencies, to be worried about or fear about things, could lead people to become depressed, which could shed light on personality factors that put people at risk. Maybe there's a thousand other reasons they're all worried about things. Huh? 
Maybe see, there's different kinds of depression, and people who don't get depressed once in a while are not normal. They're not normal, and that's also put down in their books too, because you get hypomanic uh, states as well. People who are just under manic states who can get a lot done actually if they don't go overboard into the manic state. You can be envious of them. But there's also ones that go overboard into the full-blown mania. And then they also can swing to, as they say, bipolar, which is called this manic depression, because then you, you go into depressive phase. Some folk don't go into depressive phase. Other folks are in the depressive phase most of the time. They, they can get an endogenous depression, which they can find no reason for you having it, you see? Then they go into, oh, it could be biochemical, it could be that. They've got all these theories, but they can, they can no, never prove anything. It's all theories, eh? And people in endogenous depressions can, can literally hear voices accusing them, or just, you're a failure, you're a failure, etc. And uh, it's, it's a terrible existence for them until they get something, something, uh, or it just clears up itself for temporarily, usually, but for a little while, and that's, that's fantastic for them. All this stuff has been noted, who your parents were, that they have similar things, they go back and back and back, because this is the whole point is to create a new type in the, in the future, naturally, in a much smaller population, to be the ones that go on into the future. Don't forget the Huxleys themselves were prone to depression, bad depression at that. So I guess that 0.5% he talked about, will get the better treatments or, or the gene substitutes because they want to perhaps substitute certain what they call defective genes. You see? Anyway, I'll put this article up too. And another one too, researchers want to link your genes and your income. Whoa, does that, does that maybe start a uh, bells going off in your head, eh? Or the working classes again, all oh, you're poor, back to that old stigma again, where well, you're poor because you've got bad genes, you see? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a strange how it always comes back to the same old thing, the same old theory they want to validate. So they want to link your genes and income. And so the UK, same place, Biobank is the single largest public genetic repository in the world with samples of genetic blueprints of half a million Brits standing by for scientific study. But it says, but when David Hill, a statistical geneticist at the University of Edinburgh, oh, you saw percentages, you know, went pouring through the data, he wasn't looking for a, a cure for cancer or deeper insights into the biology of aging. Nothing like that. He was trying to figure out why some people make more money than others. <laughs> I guess you're also paying for it. You're paying big, big bucks for this character, eh? There you go. It's not a bad article, though, for those who want uh, a little chuckle. This is a good one, eh? Genetic data on half a million Brits reveal ongoing evolution and Neanderthal legacy. This this, this religion of of, uh, evolution is something else, eh? Aye, aye. But then you enter the the horror stories, too. They're going on. And I don't know if you can really shock people today. I really don't know. In an age where we're so mind-numbed, in a sense, through entertainment, too, and buckets of blood and horror stories. And I, I like horror uh, stories, if they're done well, with, with supernatural stuff. The mundane human stuff is too, it's just like reading the news in some, some newspapers. But um, 
even today you've got to watch what you, I, well I've got to watch what I say even when I'm reading stuff because they can come down you know, for, for just for, for certain words now if they're after you that is you know, or they don't like what you're saying Buckets of Limbs it says a cooler filled with male genitalia and a woman's head were sewn onto a man's torso it's a lawsuit against an Arizona scientific center and it reveals a true horror of Frankenstein uh, style research involving 1,755 donated body parts. See, we, we are the business, I keep saying this, folks. And we're being so desensitized to the value of life. I'm not kidding you. By design. The things that should really shock us probably don't. So a civil lawsuit filed against a biological resource center in Phoenix, Arizona, claims the body uh, donation clinic misused loved ones' bodies. At least 33 families stated that the company misled them into believing that the bodies would be used for disease research or organ donation. Instead, the company sold body parts and whole bodies for as, for as much as $10,000, with some body parts being sent to Department of Defense. Listen to that. Testing facility. I know what they do with them there too, but I won't go into that. But uh, here's the thing. One time Florida insurance salesman was sentenced to one year, I guess he ran the system, uh, deferred, deferred jail time, right? And four years probation in order to pay $121,000 in restitution. It's amazing how they don't, well, they don't really have laws on the books for a lot of this stuff. Or they've taken them off. You'd be surprised how many laws that they've discarded now. There was one I read about a month ago about a guy who broke into to funeral parlors and literally to have sex with, with corpses. And it was a, a light sentence. He got off with it pretty well. Because, because um, there's hardly any laws now on, on you used to have defilement of the body and, and so on, that, that kind of stuff. Desecration, nothing like that now, you see. Worse, life is becoming cheaper, unfortunately, and we're, we're almost like test subjects for things now. Hmm? Really, aren't we? It's not pleasant what's happening, honestly. The tracking of children is coming back. California making plans to track your children. Uh, starting at birth, continuing until your children are grown up and in the workforce. California's new cradle-to-career data system, that's what they call it, will collect data from uh, partner entities in order to provide appropriate interventions and support to address disparities and opportunities and improve outcomes for all. This is, you understand, what you're, you're listening to socialistic <laughs> terminology. It's like a different language, isn't it? When horror can be can be so basically camouflaged, so it says the partner entities include but are not limited to state entities responsible for elementary and secondary education data, entities responsible for early learning data, segments of public higher education, private colleges and universities, state entities responsible for student financial aid and childcare providers, state labour and world. Workforce development agencies and state departments administering health and human services programs. Remember that Huxley's worked hard uh, with UNESCO and other United Nations organizations in all of these areas of total management of the population, like, like he said, that the 0.5% could totally dominate all the rest.
we're here, folks. We're well. We truly are here. And that was a plan for a long, long time ago, in different centuries, to to bring us to this stage. And then the rest of the the basic news now, you hardly get any news except what they they, they want you to maybe go along with, like the Iranian um, embargo, where they can't sell any of their oil. They're supposed to get starved to death, basically, or fight their way out of it, because they want a war too. The West wants a war with Iran. Um, Not just the West, of course, but but, uh, they want a war with Iran, no doubt about it. They want to to, to level all the countries around there back into the Stone Age. That that all came out with um, the the old list back in the 90s, according to General Wesley Clark, when he talked about the list and all the ones that were added to the list that he didn't even know about at the time, after 9-11, of course. They had it planned before 9-11. And it's so amazing to me, too, that... Years and years ago, perfidious Britain, as, as it was called at the time, that was always in and out of wars in the 17 and 1800s, really uh, perfidious Britain, uh, they would build up countries and, and sell them arms. And when the country defeated the other country around them, they would then set someone up to defeat them. It was an ongoing thing, but often they would, they would furnish uh, weaponry to both sides. The same thing happened in World War I where the big banks in the, in the U.S. were financing all sides. And it was, I think it was J.P. Morgan was set up initially to be the, the, the go-between between the bankers and the countries to settle the debts. And that's why they got the U.S. into the war, World War I in 1917, gave them a year to get it over and done with. And then they set up the, uh, the different reparations, etc. And who was going to pay for what? Everything boils down to the same thing, but here it is. Washington greenlights military sales to Pakistan and India, who are bitter enemies, by the way. Months after the air skirmish, there was a skirmish by aircraft in the air, and it says that it's approved $125 million, the U.S. has, worth of support for Pakistan's F-16 warplanes, as well as $670 million dollars of support for India's C-17 transport planes. The two regional rivals had their first direct air combat in decades this year. This article goes on to say that the sale to Pakistan will require the deployment of some 60 contractor representatives who will provide 24-7 end-use monitoring for the country's U.S.-made fleet of fighter jets, the Pentagon's Defense Security Cooperation Agency, DSCA, said in a statement Friday, the package will service the Lockheed Martin F-16s delivered to Pakistan as part of the, guess what's called, the Peace Drive <laughs> program, <laughs> which includes uh, 12 F-16C jets and 6 F-16D jets. And Pakistan's fleet of F-16s came into the spotlight February during security crisis in which Indian Pakistan warplanes engaged in direct combat for the first time in decades. And remember, both those countries have the, the, the atomic bomb hmm, as well. So it's okay for them to have the atomic uh, warfare, which is a deterrent because no one, if anybody uses it, this, this is the whole point. The ones who don't have it are going to get leaned on with the ones who do have it. You see? And this whole thing with Iran is to stop Iran maybe getting enough uh, um, highly enriched uranium uh, to have a bomb, basically, supposedly. 
but other countries can get it, it's okay. And uh, well, we know all that, don't we? But uh, it's amazing. There you get the peace drive program to sell them millions and millions of dollars worth of uh, aircraft and stuff. Not bad, eh? <laughs> peace. Uh, this is short cry peace, peace where there is no peace. Eh? And uh, another thing, too, to do with international trade. It's just astonishing. I, can, I know beekeepers in Canada, and, and some years ago, quite a few years back, the, the government really were stepping up their new hygiene, you know, program for, for beekeepers. And they couldn't make the spin, the combs in the old type of uh, uh, spinners that they had. They were like big drums and so on. They had to get stainless steel ones. Very expensive. And most of these beekeepers, remember, are small, small guys. You know, that's maybe a part-time thing with them. So that they get uh, that, and then they had to get a special little place built for inspectors to come in and put on their white suits and their and their white uh, rubber boots and all that kind of stuff to inspect the honey and all that. I mean, the whole thing was designed to put them under. Really, that's what, as far as the, that's what they used to say. That the guys I talked to, in a way, and then started to import the stuff, right? Under free trade, under free trade. You don't realize that, that you're told what you can sell and where to and what you must import by bureaucrats at the World Trade Organization, a place like that, you see, unelected people. For those who don't understand really what I'm talking about, the, the European Union was a good example of, of real socialistic tampering with bureaucrats running everything. They conned the farmers in Britain into how wonderful it would be and take on mortgages and expand their farms. And then they turn around and says, oh, you can't sell your, your products across this country or that country. And they all went under. Bureaucrats did that. Anthony Hopkins was an awfully good movie about that. It was called Heartland. A portrayal of one farm, that kind of stuff was really happening. Put under. Intergenerational farms, you know, run by the same families. Put under by the governments colluding with bureaucrats to, to get them heavily in debt and then, then saying you can't sell your stuff. Huh? There you go. Anyway, here, here's the one with the bees. It says here, the testers uh, in uh, Canada says fake honey is pouring into Canada. Fake honey. And local beekeepers are feeling the sting. No, no, this is a little pun on them. They've had more than the sting, believe you me. And it says an effort to crack down on food fraud. So everyone's frauds are fake, eh? You get fake news and you get fake, fake food, <laughs> I suppose. Uh, so, so the Canadian Food Inspectors Agency zeroed in honey imports and found that 22% or samples were adulterated with cheaper sugars like rice and sugarcane syrup. So there you go. And they, they name the countries that it's coming in from, mainly, um, I think, China and India and, and places like that. It's a big, big problem right at the moment. There you go. Maybe if they left all the ones that, instead of putting them under, all the little ones in Canada, you'd have good honey, yeah. It's amazing, too, how bureaucrats work, because the bee, the bee keepers who were making the honey in Ontario, at least the ones I knew, uh, couldn't just go to a local store and sell their honey there. The, the, the bureaucrats decided where you would sell your honey to. It could be, and it could be many counties away. It could be 100 miles away. 
And the person 100 miles away means that maybe I had to come to your place and so I mean, absolute madness. That, that socialistic, bureaucratic madness when you see that kind of stuff happening. It's not good for business at all. It's always the same story, eh? And it's getting worse, unfortunately. From an area that was hammered, absolutely hammered, by the mites that were killing them, and then the um, the nicotinamides, the, the type of spray that they were spraying on crops and so on, and that, that was killing them off too. Hammered and hammered and hammered, and then you had the bureaucrats and oh, you can't spin that. Not those 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 old steel drums. You got to get these stainless steel ones, eh? Etc. Etc. There you go. That's progress for you. Where when you end up, you're important. Everything. No one's working at home, eh? That's progress. Now, just to get back for the last part of this talk. Before I finish it, because I've gone through the different studies they're doing on, on all of us, on our DNA, family histories, everything, you know. And it's not happening by itself. It's an old program that's underway. And uh, it's, it used to keep its head down uh, after it got in trouble with world wars and, and people actually putting it into to even more brutal and quicker uh, effect, you might say. But uh, as I say, we're going sterile in the West too, and that's not by by chance. Anyway, that same article to do with uh, Huxley, Aldous Huxley, who gave you Brave New World and talked about the 0.5% that, that should have the control of everybody else, should have the control, you see. Uh, he also says further uh, pondered the problem of dys- dysgenics and democracy. See a problem of dysgenics and democracy. You, you understand that? Eh? In several published essays dating from the late 1920s and early 1930s, with titles such as "What is happening to our population?" and "Are we growing stupider?" He defended the eugenics policies of encouraging higher birth rates amongst uh, the intellectual classes and sterilizing the lower class as unfit which he believed would improve the inherited mental abilities of future generations and lead to responsible citizenship. So there you go. This is for the planet, remember, folks. It's interesting, eugenics was more than a brief flirtation, as suggested by one recent biographer. On the contrary, his ongoing support for so-called race betterment, as it was called, it was typical of the left-leaning British intellectuals in the interwar period. His writing, including his dystopian novel Brave New World, reflected public anxieties about the supposedly de- degenerating hereditary uh, quality of the population, how this decline would affect England's economic and political future. For Huxley, at this time in his life and in this social context, eugenics was not a nightmare prospect, but rather the best hope for designing a better world if used in the right way by the right people. And guess who they are, eh? This neglected aspect of his early scientific and political thinking must be taken into account when unpacking the multiple and perhaps conflicting meanings of Brave New World. So it was a satire on contemporary culture, a prediction of biological advances, and a commentary on the social roles of science and scientists, and a plan for reforming society. Now, it's no no joke that they want to drastically reduce the population. 
and they're doing it actually, and they're pretty they're pretty um, efficient I'd say are, are the ones who manage us all. They're rather efficient, and they have lots of helpers who are awfully well paid too, and the strata coming down from the little capsule at the top. It's well underway, of course. They're quite confident that even the future studies, the such other future studies for the British military, said the same thing. They, they, they expect by the year 2030, there'll be a sudden, in 2030, a sudden drop of population. That's what they said. Didn't explain why, but they never tell you much as to how they're going to do things to you. But it's quite, quite fascinating to. To realize it now, some people will write again the happy, happy types who who don't like bad news, and say, "Why can't you give us good news? Good news? Well, you've got plenty of good news for the happy types. I'm sure that every happy type out there will know all the different things they want to look at their favorite sites and stuff that gives them happiness and and wonderful feelings. You see, and they can sit and contemplate uh, being part of the great all of the world, the great. Uh, the, the great power where all your minds are combined and, and the great all, you see. It's just strange, though, you've got all the, the elite at the top managing the great all, it seems, because they're, 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 they're the ones who seem to man- they openly manage all, but, but everybody else down below thinks that they're part of it too, you see. And um, you can't mention a deity of any kind. That freaks them out, literally, because collectively they are the deity, you understand? Well, look at look at the people you know, who are in these movements. Do, do, do you really do you really think they're gods? <laughs> they are. They are. They are the gods. Really, eh? come on here. If you can't laugh at yourself, what can you laugh at, right? And today, people can't laugh at all. It's getting so serious with the conditioning and the conditioned armies that have been deliberately bred. I'd say, because because they've been conditioned for their functions as as complete. Well, you know. There's going to be rioting. There's already been rioting in the streets in some countries already with them. All for pushing the very things we're talking about here. There's too many people. We've got to have fewer folk living in the world to save the planet and Mother Earth, etc., etc., etc. Didn't happen by itself. And it's financed, well financed, isn't it? And so far, government response has been awfully very weak and limited. If even any response at all, which tells me it's all part of the agenda. Got to be part of the agenda. In the books of Sherlock Holmes, you have Sherlock Holmes saying, his partner, his detective partner, saying, when you've seen all the facts in the case, to find out, you know, who's done it or whatever it happens to be. He says, and you've ruled, and you and you and you're trying to get, and you're stumped. You've ruled out all the possibilities. Then the things which seem impossible, and amongst there, there must be the truth. That's what you're left with, you see. So when you see governments not reacting to having cities stopped by armies of 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 pretty well uniformed youth who've been raised and funded and trained for years. For the coming riots and so on, then obviously it's, it's been planned that way, and your government's in on it. Now remember, folks. Hopefully, hopefully, you can start buying the books and discs, or donating some money to me at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website. And so, say you have to get all my official sites, which are listed on the .com website. 
because anything outside of that where you're sending money to ain't mine. And if you're buying stuff too, with my name on it, it's not mine. Because uh, it's getting so bad now with the, with the lack of cash coming in. And people get so used to you. Uh, it's, it's just like, I can remember uh, years and years ago when folk would just go off. That was it. Years ago, like 20, 20, 30 years ago, in fact, I can remember where folk would listen to you saying, and it, what happened? Oh, what? They're always, what happened? You know? Well, what happened was... You just didn't, you didn't help them out. You expect them to be there like a fixture in your life forever. And once they're gone, that's it. There's no coming, they're gone, folks. I've also looked at some of the, uh, the a lot of the folk have been pulled off at different uh, big sites. And certain video is happening too as well. You be careful what you say now, because lately they can pull you off for saying it. You know? But uh, when you look at what's left, it's, believe you me, these are the these are the people who who literally are sanctioned to be there. These are the ones who were promoted from the beginning to grab everybody's stuff and have big publishing companies publish all their stuff just like that, poof, and ghostwritten stuff and taking all the factual stuff, adding on the ridiculous to destroy a massive movement that was on the go of well-informed people until they gave up, thinking everybody must be crazy. And the same people are still out there. They are as counterintelligence, folks, if you haven't figured it out. There was a massive movement, massive movement, because of, of the wars that were planned before 9-11 happened. And the fact that there was enough people who were sentient of what was going on with so many different programs, mainly in the U.S. at the time, who were all knocked off the air by the fake ones that came in. Didn't happen by itself. And we left now with, with, with basically what politics again, back to politics, back to politics. And they keep, people keep falling for it over and over again, this party or that party. The agenda continues between parties. When you see it continuing between the different parties, regardless of who's in, the same agendas know you're under tyranny. Jefferson said that. Thomas Jefferson. They knew all. Hmm? They knew the, the wiles of, of humanity and the tricks that are played. It's amazing how we're... All we've all been trained into happy, happy times, aren't we? Because let's be honest, we're living better. Most folk are living better now than they, than they have been for years, and yet there's no hardly any work. And they think this is always going to last. They're ready to crash the economy again, folks. And we're, they're still increasing the prices of everything you need, including your food. Since 2008 crash, the 7-8 crash, they're still increasing. Everything is shot up since then because the money gets devalued. And it's like they print more of it out. All of this print on your on screens now. And they're, they're all talking about crashing it again. And they will crash it when it's time to bring in the next part of the agenda, which will be using private companies dispensing their little electronic units via the government, like Bertrand Russell said, 
and that'll be your that'll be you'll be paid just to just to exist because there's not enough work to go around, obviously, in a world society. There's not enough, and everything's automated, etc. Even for farming, it's massive machines. So they planned what's happening a long time ago, and then of course you'll you'll play you'll play, and they hope you won't procreate. I'm sure they have many disincentives to do it. Uh, but you'll play and play, uh, and you may have a good life. You know, that's what they say. You may have a good enough life, and that that to them is humane. You see, but then you won't breed, and uh, you'll we'll all start dying off. This isn't speculation, folks. This is from their own writings. Yeah? I'm not uh, depressed about things. I don't get depressed like that about, about what's happening. You can be disappointed at times, occasionally, when you see the, the, the awfully, awfully devious tricks that, uh, that they've done to, to, to quash a whole big, varied movement. And it was varied. There were so many, so many people at one time on radio. Uh, they were really up on things. Really, really up on things. And it was a hope to the world, because the whole world was going dark at that time. And it sparked a light. But the big boys got together, and, and then they reverse everything. So carefully, most folk don't even know that whatever you're left with is a completely different system, including the ones who are giving you the information. Back to politics. Anyway, from myself, Alan Watchman, Ontario, Canada... Uh, remember, donate some cash to me, hopefully. It's good night to me, your God, or your God's go with you. <laughs>